the Wagner Revolt? What are its consequences for the world? You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. What are the consequences of the Wagner Revolt against the Kremlin? Will it weaken Putin's power? What is the future of Russian paramilitary groups like Wagner? This episode is a recording of our Twitter space to which we invited Petro Burkovsky, the executive director at the Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation, a Ukrainian think tank, and Maria Zolkina, key analyst at this foundation. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, the chief editor of ukraineworld.org. Ukraine World is a website in English about Ukraine. It is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So, here is our Twitter space. Dear colleagues, we will start our Twitter space Thank you very much for joining. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and the chief editor of Ukraine World. And we are living in a very difficult times and very difficult days. Uh, a few days ago, there was another very brutal attack uh, on Ukrainian cities. There was an attack on Kramatorsk. You've probably seen it. And some of our dearest friends were injured there. So we are living in this constant, constant situation, uh, very difficult situation, morally difficult and emotionally difficult. Uh, but anyway, we, we continue our work, we continue our reporting work, and uh, I'm very happy that we will uh, try to analyze what is happening with a certain distance uh, to what was happening on Saturday this uh, so-called revolt or an attempt of maybe military coup d'etat uh, in Russia with Wagner Group. And uh, the events are developing very, very quickly. Uh, but uh, I know that my colleagues have already analyzed that, but let's look at this from a certain distance. So let me present our speakers today. It's uh, Petro Burkovsky, who is executive director of Ilkokuchirev Democratic Initiatives Foundation, and his colleague Maria Zolkina, a very, very well-known Ukrainian uh, conflict analyst and the head of uh, direction uh, segment regional security and conflict research at the Democratic Initiatives Foundation and the researcher at London School of Economics. Petro and Maria, welcome to this Twitter space. I'm so happy to uh, invite you here and uh, uh, I have seen that uh, your presence so let me start with Petro and uh, ask you uh, what do you see as consequences a few days have, have passed already what do you see as the con consequences of this Wagner revolt let's start with Russia and then maybe go to to the wider world Petro the floor is yours 
thank you, Vladimir. Uh, thank you for invitation and for this uh, splendid opportunity to talk uh, to so many people who are interested in Russian events, who are interested, first of all, of course, in Ukrainian events, and who are interested, uh, I'm sure, in uh, our Ukraine's uh, fight against uh, brutal uh, Russian aggression, against Russian genocide. And uh, uh, when we look at this situation that happened in Russia, uh, we should uh, start with maybe a little, a very brief introduction, what is the, what the Wagner Group is and why it's so important and why it, it attracted so many interests uh, from outside uh, of Russia, outside of Europe. Uh, so uh, uh, the Wagner Group uh, was uh, established uh, uh, um, similar, so it was it was said that it was a private military company, which was established before uh, some years before 2013. Uh, but in fact, uh, from the very beginning, it was neither private uh, nor company, but it was a military structure uh, which consisted of uh, former and active duty. That is very important to stress former and active duty military and intelligence officers uh, of the Russian army, of the Russian special forces, uh, uh, special forces units. And uh, in Russia, if you look uh, carefully and in detail, these special forces units, they, uh, they were uh, um, established in the army, uh, in the uh, uh, so-called paratroop airborne troops, uh, in the uh, within uh, the structure of the uh, GRU, uh, which is a chief uh, 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 chief intelligence uh, department. Uh, in fact, it's a military intelligence of Russia, uh, which is responsible not only for military intelligence but also for the all kinds of subversion, uh, all kinds of subversion, and also special forces under the rule of uh, Federal Security Service or FSB. So all of these uh, bunches of organizations, uh, they, let's say, seconded their professionals uh, to this new entity, uh, which was uh, created as if it is a private initiative. But from the very beginning, from the very start, it was, as I said, it was neither private nor company. That was a, a hand, uh, a tentacle, let's say, of uh, the uh, Russian government. And uh, uh, this instrument, uh, this company uh, gave uh, Russians uh, a so-called a plausible denial argument. Uh, so when they acted in the Middle East, in Syria, first of all, in Africa, uh, in Ukraine, in Crimea in 2014, if you remember, uh, it's about the uh, little green men or polite people, the armed, uh, uh, the armed officers and soldiers without insignia, which captured the uh, administrative structures in Crimea and uh, which infiltrated uh, inside uh, Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts uh, in the, uh, the, the east of Ukraine in the beginning of 2014. So, uh, uh, so the Wagner group, uh, these troops, they participated in all of these kind of actions. But every time, every time, uh, Russian government has this plausible denial saying that it's not our men, they are not on the service. But, uh, and let me conclude with the Wagner Group. But just yesterday, uh, yesterday it was uh, at a Tuesday, I guess, maybe Tuesday, when Putin talked to uh, the uh, top brass military officers, uh, he mentioned that uh, from May 2022 to May 2023, 
the Wagner Group was paid from the state budget and they received uh, around uh, 1 billion uh, US dollars. So they received the sum in rubles, but uh, equivalent of 1 billion uh, US dollars just in one year. Uh, so, uh, and they received this money through the pipeline of the Minister of, the Ministry of Defense. Uh, and again, it's another evidence, uh, I would say, uh, coming out of Putin, uh, who uh, said directly that Wagner Group is a part of Russian government. So, uh, second point, why this mutiny, so, so, therefore, so therefore this mutiny attracted so much attention because in the West, uh, the intelligence services, the political circles, they know very well, they knew very well that it's a part of Russian government and it's one of the most efficient instruments of Russian meddling and interference and influence and the special operations abroad. Uh, and uh, since the beginning of the full-scale invasion, Wagner Group, uh, Wagner Group also played uh, an important role in uh, uh, fighting the Ukrainian army. So uh, they enrolled thousands and thousands of uh, inmates, uh, trained, trained them, and used them to uh, attack Ukrainian positions in the East. So it was a formidable power, but uh, what happened with them, as, as far as I see it, what happened in Russia? Uh, it seems so that uh, Wagner Group, not Prigozhin himself, but these officers, uh, quite very intelligent, very professional, battle-hardened, they were sick and tired of the Russian generals uh, who used them uh, in not in a proper way. So they were trained as a special forces as a, for, for, to make a stink operations. But a lot of them, of their comrades and brothers in arms, let's say, they were wasted in these uh, disastrous attacks uh, in the last six months. So uh, since, I think, uh, since uh, April, they demanded that they should uh, have been uh, released from the Ukrainian front, front and uh, that they should be transferred to other missions, possibly abroad, maybe in Africa, maybe in the Middle East, or even maybe in Europe. Uh, but they were not given uh, this permission. Moreover, they were threatened that they will be included into the ranks of the Russian army and they will be forced to sign contracts. And this is very important. Why? Because these people moved to the Wagner group because they rejected the old Soviet of the new Russian style of military leadership. They hated uh, this uh, uh, kind of uh, order inside tradition, traditional old Soviet type of order and command and control inside this army. Uh, and they wanted to be on their own. But uh, if they signed contracts, they would get less paid and they will be directly subordinated to the general staff of the Russian army, to the generals uh, uh, whom they hated a lot. And so therefore, it seems if, if we uh, stick to the facts, it seems like they uh, really started a mutiny and they, they were very successful. And from the beginning, it was not clear what were the purpose, what are the objectives of this mutiny. Later on Sunday, it appeared that the only reason is that they want to uh, get out of Ukraine and to be stationed some, in some other places. Since, they, uh, since the Kremlin was forced, was forced uh, to accept it, they, uh, they agreed to stop their march toward Moscow and uh, most of them, I think, would go to Belarus. 
That's what we know about Russia. And here, uh, before I just uh, last point, uh, and maybe I will, uh, 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 Maria would speak on a broader context, what it means uh, for, uh, for why the world. Uh, I see here uh, like uh, several messages. First of all, the situation in Russia showed that uh, people, uh, mostly they passively ob observed this mutiny, but uh, they did not demand uh, oust of the Putin. But on the other hand, uh, they look favorably to what the Wagner Group was doing. So there is a huge uh, request, public, uh, huge but suppressed, uh, suppressed request in uh, Russia, public request uh, to change the situation. But people do not want to participate in changing this. They are waiting for some force to do these changes in the country. And uh, second, that the security apparatus uh, of Putin uh, was weak, and uh, this weakness was revealed by this mutiny. And uh, uh, they almost, uh, f uh, until the very last minute, uh, they almost uh, did not uh, uh, stand, uh, uh, stand uh, to, to, this, uh, uh, to this mutiny. So there was a question whether uh, actually uh, uh, a huge, this uh, Rosguardia, which is, which is a, a domestic army, or police or FSB, whether they can contain and defeat uh, this mutiny. So there was a question, uh, the, uh, Putin's authority was questioned uh, by this mutiny. Uh, of course, it was, uh, it was a blow. And uh, speaking of wider contacts, uh, well, it seems like uh, in the West, a lot of people were afraid that uh, there could be kind of uh, coup d'etat or any kind of uh, unpredictable development. And uh, that uh, these new people, in, if, the, if they come to power, so nobody knows how they will uh, deal with the West and what they will do with the nuclear weapons. Thank you, Petro. Thank you so much for this analysis. I will pass the floor to Maria. But before that, my question would be, what are the consequences for the wider world? And uh, I would say, and I don't know, Maria, if you agree with me, I would say that the, one of the major consequences is that Russia has shown itself as a very weak country with a very weak president. And uh, it was spreading this propaganda that Ukraine is a failed state, but it is actually a failed state. And Putin showed himself as a weak, very weak leader, because if he would uh, warn against Wagner militarily, and that would probably happen, uh, uh, and Kudita would fail, he would actually come out of this conflict uh, stronger. But the problem is that he first labeled this Wagner group as criminals and as, uh, as traitors, and then he agreed on a compromise done by another person, a third party, uh, allegedly, which is uh, Belarus dictator Lukashenko, which is certainly shows that uh, this was a sign of weakness because he could neither win, neither defeat his opponents, nor even agree with them. He needed a third party to agree with them. So would you agree with this consequence, uh, with this conclusion, and maybe you would draw some other conclusions for the world? Hi, hello, good afternoon to everyone. I hope uh, the sound is okay. Um, uh, thank you, Volodymyr, for organizing this and for inviting me and, and my colleague Petro to talk here about that. Um, 
I would say that broadly and in a midterm perspective, yes, I agree that uh, global consequences, at least on a political and diplomatic level, about uh, how the perception of uh, the Putin himself, his personal power, his capacity, and uh, to some extent even capabilities of um, influencing and controlling the whole, the entire authoritarian system in Russia. So everything will be questioned. Uh, not only by number of domestic actors, uh, but also by foreign elites. Uh, but why I have mentioned the midterm perspective? Actually, because um, as of now, there is still a process of some kind of um, um, assessment of what has happened, uh, what has really happened, uh, who was involved uh, in organization of this mutiny, whether it was just Prigozhin or uh, some kind of... Um, other actors in Russia uh, who covertly, latently um, supported uh, or probably supported Prigozhin. And actually, the, the piece of news from today, which came from a number of foreign medias and uh, also, well, also Moscow-based medias, um, that uh, allegedly General Suravikin, the former uh, commander of uh, uh, Russian uh, military um, operations uh, on the ground in Ukraine, so the former commander of military forces, um, occupational forces in Ukraine, uh, that he is allegedly detained since Saturday. Um, and we will see, um, because this information actually contributes, at least in the West, uh, to the discussion of who was else probably supporting or who was involved in some kind of support of Prigozhin with his preparations to this mutiny. So as of now, I would say that that's, there is a clear understanding in the West that Putin is not as strong as the leader of this uh, authoritarian state and this system as he was perceived to be, as he was considered to be. That's, that, that impression is shared, uh, I would say, dare to say, both on expert level and um, political level. Um, and also Scholz um, also even mentioned, so taking into account the modest way how German politicians, and especially Scholz himself, describe usually uh, the developments in Russia or about Russia. Um, so I was even to some extent um, surprised. So then Scholz also is describing the situation like that. So that's um, um, that was a huge hit, a huge damage to, to Putin's image. And I agree with you that the impression and or the first assessment is that Putin is much weaker than, than he was perceived to be. But what does it mean, actually, even if our Western allies or people on expert and political level all around the globe who were watching uh, the development of this rebellion, uh, what, what does it mean on a practical level? Whether they will reassess their attitude and their approach towards Russia? Uh, what conclusions will they draw out of this situation? Because um, some, of the, some of the people in the West are just assessing that, yes, Putin appeared to be weaker, but the alternative which appeared to him and which um, Petro started to speak about this issue, the alternative might be even worse because within the framework of this rebellion, uh, the alternative was seen in the personality of Prigozhin himself, not someone else. Uh, and, and, and at this point, there are already different views as of now, and it needs some time 
for Western political elites uh, and for Western community and the community outside of the Western part of the world uh, to think um, what, what to do, actually, because uh, I, I was explaining this in details um, uh, for one very important reason. I will, because I see the direct connection here uh, between how these um, weaknesses or weakness of Putin is perceived, how is it, um, to, to what extent is this understood now. Um, I see a direct connection of this point with the strategy of diplomacy towards Ukraine um, repelling Russia's attack. Exactly because one of the biggest obstacles, it's not a surprise for people uh, following the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, one of the biggest obstacles diplomatically for Ukraine is some kind of fear and concerns, even among the biggest supporters of Ukraine in the West, uh, or let's say among democratic um, democracies, is what will happen with Russia in case Russia is completely and fully defeated on the battlefield in Ukraine. And this question, in many, many discussions, including closed-door discussions and open public discussions, sometimes try to, sometimes overweight uh, the necessity to speak about what we should do to make Ukraine win and liberate its own territories. Because lots of politicians, uh, especially behind the closed doors, still tend to fear that Russia will be completely destabilized. No one will know what will happen in Russia. And most importantly, will have no control on domestic developments in Russia. And for this very reason, uh, our, even our supporters and partners in the West still have some time, I would say, now uh, to assess what are they going to do, actually? Because one of the conclusions they have to draw out of this situation is that regardless of their fears, how Russia will be domestically destabilized by uh, their potentially complete failure on the Ukrainian battlefield, this kind of destabilization can happen without, regardless, actually, of what they in the West or somewhere else want, fear or desire. Uh, and this rebellion is signalizing actually about this, that Russian elites are, can organize or Russian domestic actors might have influence on what is going ru in, in Russia and some kind of destabilization, changes of power, changes of elite in power uh, can happen uh, regardless of uh, to what extent West is supporting Ukraine uh, and, and still fears uh, to support too much um, because there might be some kind of escalation <laughs> with Russia, between Russia and the West. Um, so I, I think um, that, that for, for this reason, we might be our Ukrainian diplomacy, diplomacy of the Baltic states, Poland, uh, who have lots of concerns about um, uh, what will be the reaction of the collective West towards this kind of scenario in Russia when Putin is falling down, and there is a change of power and there are some domestic consequences. So we should be prepared for that. It doesn't mean to, that someone should orchestrate or organize, anchor the, the process. No, definitely no. But you have to be prepared. You have to find out what are the pillars, uh, what are the channels of communication, um, um, how will you react? Because Ukrainian, Ukrainian position is that uh, support of Ukraine is 
regardless of this, what is going on in Russia or what might potentially be going in Russia, should not be affected uh, by these fears, what will happen to Russia after their military defeat. And I think that Wagner Group rebellion um, is a very good starting point to, I would say, reset our discussion with the West about this. And another, um, another important signal um, which uh, was sent to globally uh, is not about just weaknesses, it's not about what to do with Russia, uh, not that un- support to Ukraine should be unconditional without any links to, to what's going on in Russia. But another signal is that um, there, as of now, when it's clear that Putin is not in full control of all the developments within the system he was building for so many years, at this moment, uh, Various domestic actors, even if Prigozhin will stop any kind of activity, let's imagine that, and people behind Prigozhin, if there were any, stop any activity, but others, other domestic actors in Russia could probably, most probably, in my opinion, have received a a signal that um, to stay under the Putin's, let's say, umbrella, uh, maybe not the best case scenario for them. And even if not this group, which tried to organize a mutiny, but there might be peer another center of influence or potential influence among those who have some kind of leverage, economic, political, inside Russia. Uh, and actually, I think that uh, here I will, I will make a stop before we will go into deeper discussion, just saying that... Um, Putin became, in my opinion, trapped, and this is very clear understood, as, at least as my impression is in the West. Um, uh, Putin became trapped by himself, by the system he was building up uh, when he was trying to make any branch of security, law enforcement, intelligence, military bodies so much divided uh, and separated one from another uh, to prevent, as, as he tried to do, to prevent any of these branches to become influential enough to oppose the Putin himself. But as of now, it, it has shown to everyone that as soon as this, some kind of new developments appear, they bring chaos, these developments, they bring chaos uh, to the entire political system, which is not coordinated enough and which can collapse as actually, as, as Ukraine was, was saying all the time, so authoritarian regimes can, be, can collapse in a very fast, in a very quick way. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for these lucid points. I really share your observation that uh, the West should not be afraid of the collapse of Russia because it's probably the historical direction. And it certainly does not depend on, on actions. Uh, of, you know, some big governments, uh, because, I mean, there was, we know that there was a lot of pressure at, on the eve of the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, that Soviet Union should not collapse, Ukraine should not uh, go from Soviet Union, Ukraine should not leave the Soviet Union. And anyway, that's happened, that that what happened, because the history was going in that way. And uh, we actually, there's a, a, a certain... Uh, problems of uh, international perspective on Putin is that many people actually were seeing Putin's empire as the empire on its rise, 
that was consolidating power, that was trying to expand militarily. But actually, if we look in a, in a wider perspective, in the perspective of decades or even centuries, Russia, Russia as, a, as a political a- entity gets more and more narrow, smaller. Uh, if we take Russian Empire in the 19th century, the, the majority of Poland was under the Russian influence, right? And, and the key question was a Polish question. Now the, the key question is the Ukrainian question. And Russian, Russians are really afraid that tomorrow or in the next decades, the key question will be some, some entity inside Russia itself. So uh, let me address Petro with the question uh, about, about this, what is happening. So Wagner Group was one of the elements of exporting violence for, for Russia, not only the Wagner Group. Uh, if we take 2000s and 2010s, Russia was gradually step-by-step exporting violence uh, and exporting wars, right? Georgia, uh, uh, Syria, uh, and then operations of the Wagner Group in Africa, in Mali, in Central African Republic, and now Ukraine. And these things are very much connected. So the kind of uh, lack of proper response to Russia's uh, help of Assad in Syria opened Russia actions uh, for the annexing Crimea in 2014 and uh, attacking the eastern Ukraine. These are very connected things. The success of Wagner Group in Africa led to bring them actually to Ukraine and use them as uh, as tool of war in Ukraine. What will happen now, according to you? Because uh, some of the analysis say, okay, Wagner Group is discredited. Nobody would believe it. I mean, some other governments which would try to hire it and, and that's it. Another interpretation is that no, Wagner actually succeeded in going, uh, going away from the Ukrainian. Uh, U- Ukraine, Russia's war on Ukraine, and now will be again focused on some foreign operations. What do you think? Uh, thank you, Vladimir. Uh, look, uh, I think that first of all, we need to keep in mind that uh, that's, I think that's, uh, con- uh, that I will continue your argument, a historical argument, is that uh, Putin uh, is not doing anything uh, new. So the Wagner Group is, a, is, is not a new invention. Uh, they, uh, they did the same. When I said they, I mean uh, the Soviet Union, the Communist Party, and the military establishment of the Soviet Union. When they sent uh, troops uh, undercover to Ethiopia, uh, to Cuba, to Angola, uh, to Vietnam, uh, when they trained uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, as in, in Soviet Union they were called the freedom fighters, by the Western uh, governments, it was they were called by uh, as the terrorists, and by domestic governments, they are called by the terrorists. Uh, so the Soviet Union played a huge role, for instance, in uh, the Indo-Pakistani war when uh, the uh, Eastern Pakistan seceded and the new state of Bangladesh was established. So uh, KGB uh, and KGB training of the uh, these. Uh, of armed troops in uh, eastern Pakistan and Bangladesh played a huge role. So they supplied arms, uh, training, etc., etc. And they did uh, they did it for uh, Arab countries uh, in their conflict with Israel uh, for decades. So uh, the uh, the point I'm just want to make is that we still live in the world 
which uh, has not overcome the consequences of the Cold War. And the major consequence of the Cold War is the division uh, of the world uh, or uh, uh, um, a competition between uh, so-called great states for their spheres of influence. And Russia, in their own thinking, uh, they, are, uh, they resent that after 1991, uh, they were removed from the, this stage uh, as, as they see it. As I, uh, um, when I say it, I do not share this uh, kind of worldview, but I'm trying to explain the way they are Russian, they are thinking, they are elites. So they were remote from this world stage and from this competition uh, for the uh, spheres of influence all around the world. And uh, they returned back in the late, uh, in the beginning of the, this century, uh, when Putin came to power, he uh, just revived all these uh, instruments of uh, uh, struggle, of competition uh, and uh, coercion, let's say, uh, towards the, uh, the, the states which Russia, which they, uh, Putin elites, they perceive uh, uh, as their competitors. The United States, uh, France, uh, Great Britain, uh, possibly in some instances China, and so on and so forth. So uh, apart from building the alliances with, uh, uh, with other states, uh, with other states uh, they, that wanted to uh, challenge the Western domination, as they perceived it, they call it the Western domination or American domination, they made a different kind of uh, situational or stable alliances. And right now, what we're seeing is an alliance with China. And, uh, but anyway, uh, Russia anyway wanted to play its own role to be pursue, perceived as a huge power and alternative to the West. And they, uh, one of the instruments was the Wagner Group. And uh, despite the fact that uh, Russia and Putin invested so many uh, efforts and resources into the war with Ukraine, uh, he uh, have not uh, uh, rejected the idea of uh, destabilizing other parts of the world. So, uh, in essence, what I see, how, how they can use this situation. As I said, Wagner Group uh, is important uh, asset and instrument of Russia. So, right now, just let me give you the, uh, uh, the agenda, the, the global agenda uh, which is coming. So in the beginning of July, in 11th, 12th of July, we have a NATO summit in Vilnius. This is Lithuania. And in the eyes of uh, Kremlin, uh, having this summit in Lithuania, it's a crossing of the red line. So it's a former, as they said, that's their former uh, territory controlled by Russia until 1991, right? And uh, uh, from their point of view, they can do something to destabilize the situation uh, on the borders of Lithuania of Poland. And uh, for me, it was, uh, I, was, uh, uh, I was not surprised that just after this uh, Wagner mutiny and just after announcement that Wagner will move to Belarus, that Polish government and Lithuanian, Latvian and Estonian government, they announced two measures. They uh, enforce their border control uh, border guards, uh, and uh, they are thinking about complete ban on uh, Russians to enter and Bela, uh, uh, Belarusians to enter their territory. Because yes, they are afraid, or, or they, they can, there is a risk 
that the Wagner Group, uh, that they can have a new identities, new passports, and they can uh, try to enter these countries and do something on the eve of the NATO summit. Uh, next agenda. In, uh, on uh, July 27, 28, uh, in Russia, they will have so-called Russia-Africa summit. So uh, Putin is expecting to invite a lot of uh, head of states from Africa to show that Russia is an alternative uh, center of power. And I think that on the eve or right after uh, this summit, uh, they can uh, do some things, uh, uh, a show of force in Africa, in the countries which are important uh, for uh, certain European countries. Uh, for instance, it's a wild scenario. It's a wild scenario and it's just a hypothesis. But uh, if you look carefully at what France is doing right now, uh, several months ago, the French, French President Macron announced that they will reduce uh, their troops in Senegal, in Côte d'Ivoire, and in Gabon. So uh, I think uh, there is a hypothetical risk that uh, Russians uh, can uh, send their troops, Wagner troops, to some of these locations in order to create a chaos, which we witnessed when the American troops withdrew from Afghanistan, just to humiliate uh, Macron. So uh, there is a risk. And uh, uh, then in, uh, uh, in August, 22, 24th of August, uh, uh, there will be a BRICS summit in uh, Southern Africa. And uh, Putin, uh, really, they are doing a lot of diplomatic efforts to uh, make it possible that Putin appear there in South Africa. And here is the question, a question for Putin. Uh, so uh, if he... Uh, uh, if he show his, his defiance, uh, his ignorance toward this uh, international criminal court order to arrest him, uh, that would be a show of force also. And possibly uh, he will also uh, will need a kind of protection, protection, uh, physical protection, which also can be provided by uh, the Wagner Group, the best el and elite forces. And uh, finally, in September, 9 to 10 September this year, in New Delhi, there will be a G20 summit where uh, India is also expecting participation of Russia. So uh, we have uh, uh, um, ahead of us uh, two months or two or three months of uh, very intensive uh, uh, international events, uh, which are very important for Russia and which are very important for Ukraine. So what Russia is, uh, can do is to try to destabilize situation and to show that it's an important and integral part uh, of the international security, even if, if they are villains. But uh, if the villain is too strong, you need to make an agreement with them. And so uh, I think that uh, the West and Ukraine should be very, very careful in the next few months in order to mitigate or maybe even to neutralize the threats uh, that Putin can um, implement in order to restore his international image. And of course, it's not only about the image, but about the achievement of the foreign goals of Russia, which are division of the West and, of course, decreasing of the assistance to Ukraine, both in terms of economic, military assistance and sanctions. Thank you, Petro. Thank you so much. Um, I will address Maria with the last question, and then um, I would uh, invite you, our listeners, either to ask questions in the chat or in uh, the replies to our uh, announcement of this Twitter space. 
you can actually see the button uh, on the right uh, bottom uh, corner of the screen, I hope, uh, where you can ask questions or you can request to speak and ask it uh, the question orally. So my question to Maria is, uh, if we look at Ukraine, if we look at Russian war in Ukraine, how would you estimate the consequences? Because one hypothesis is that Russian uh, army would be weakened because uh, it actually uh, loses this uh, very dynamic and brutal uh, and um, brutal, cruel force, which is Wagner Group. Uh, the other hypothesis is that no, this is centralizing of the Russian army, and and it just gets rid of this uh, paramilitary, self-controlled or uncontrolled organization, and now everything will be more in order, which will make Russian army stronger. Uh, what do you think? I think that, of course, we shouldn't underestimate uh, the Russian regular army and saying that they are not capable of uh, conducting uh, any uh, effective operations at all right now, especially taking into regard that uh, Ukrainian army and Russian army, uh, Russian regular army has been uh, switching the roles, actually, and Russians are in defense right now uh, on the whole front line. But still... Uh, Wagner Group was really much more flexible and their violence and brutality and uh, lack of that kind of control and um, bureaucratic control of every step of every soldier um, gave them that kind of, uh, contributed actually to their effectiveness um, uh, um, and, and because grab something, take something at any cost um, that was Wagner was doing, uh, using huge brutality and, and violent approach uh, towards the battlefield developments. Um, and even, but even, but, but that was not due to specific soldiers or not due to their specific skills like fighting uh, in, a, in a Wagner uh, unit. It was exactly because they were not 100% following everything which let's say, classical, usual um, uh, military units in Russian regular army did. Uh, if they are formally incorporated, um, or at least part of them, or even majority of them is formally incorporated into Russian regular army, uh, according to the plan of Ministry of Defense, it doesn't necessarily mean that those Russian regular army units, which uh, will incorporate physically these people from Wagner Group, uh, they will become stronger and more efficient. Uh, so again, without any uh, illusions and without any attempts to underestimate uh, that Russian army in defense can still be uh, very dangerous. And that's why Ukraine needs well-planning, good equipment, enough uh, um, military uh, assistance from the West, enough weapons. Um, the Wagner Group incorporation into Russian regular army uh, will not strengthen the Russian regular army significantly. So it will not be any kind of a game changer, even on a specific, um, I don't expect that it will be a game changer on any specific uh, sports on the front line. Moreover, it's not, um, I, I think that to some extent, the, um, there was one more consequence, which we didn't speak precisely before, uh, 
consequence of uh, or outcome actually of um, of this um, Wagner Group rebellion, uh, we were speaking mainly about institutional, uh, elite related, or um, political consequences uh, of this mutiny attempt. But um, I. on the ground in Luhansk region um, and partially due to some information from the Ukrainian sources, uh, from Ukrainian soldiers uh, fighting in, um, uh, in Donetsk and Luhansk region. So what we observed actually, uh, because Wagner is now, uh, has, a, has a huge military base and occupied part of Luhansk region. Uh, and number of those people from Wagner groups they uh, started moving uh, to the Russian sovereign territory on the day of um, uh, on the day of rebellion. Uh, they uh, they met actually. Uh, they even passed the um, the, the border um, point, uh, the border checkpoint with with Russia, which which Russia still had there, regardless of the official annexation of uh, occupied Ukrainian territories. There are still border checkpoints. Um, so they even passed, and um, but but the whole situation and the whole impression was that regular Russian army in Luhansk region was completely disorganized on the day of rebellion, completely uh, frustrated about what is going on and what should they do, whether stay in places, start moving to Moscow to defend Moscow as regular army. Uh, against rebellion, uh, they were in a direct contact because Wagner had a, had and still has a military base in Luhansk region. It means that regular forces had contacts and were somehow interrelated with, with Wagneris uh, uh, on the ground. So there was not only institutional but even personal misunderstanding what is going on there. Uh, and it, it's signalizing for us about another kind of... Um, weaknesses, institutional weaknesses, um, uh, coordination weaknesses of Russian regular forces. And I think that on a personal level, um, it should play in the interest of Ukraine, actually. Uh, and it potentially will influence even this failed rebellion, but will, it will influence a uh, number of not very visible um, layers of um, these uh, developments, namely the morale of Russian uh, soldiers on the ground. Moreover, uh, I think that uh, now we should, um, um, and, and, and besides of that discoordination of regular forces, another important development which, which really brings me lots of um, optimism about uh, how Ukraine will um, deal with currently occupied territories when they are taken back, when they are liberated, is that it was the second time within last seven months when local authorities in occupation administrations were almost ready to pack. Uh, so all the sources saying about that, because when they understood that something is going on and they don't really understand uh, what will be the reaction, the whole ex the entire expectation was that front line will collapse, will collapse. Of course, it's a bit of um, uh, too uh, optimistic to 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 as of now to rely on uh, 
on, on such um, uh, expectation that everything will necessarily collapse at once, but it's pretty possible. And it means that if local authorities, people who uh, collaborated or who came from Russia uh, to be heads and to serve for these occupation administrations, if they, their first reaction is just to look how to flee the occupied territories, it's a very good sign that not only militarily, uh, but also institutionally, Russia's presence on temporarily occupied territories of Ukraine, even after 15 months or 12 months, 11 months in case of Luhansk region, uh, the, the, the system is not stable. The system is not stable, is not uh, stable enough to, to defend itself uh, to the very end, let's say. And it will definitely collapse as soon as there, there are some military defeats of Russian regular forces on the ground. Um, so I think, yeah, this is, this is how I see the situation. Um, and we, will, we should follow also the, uh, whether this already existing Wagner Group uh, military bases, what will happen to them, whether they will stay where they are, like in Luhansk region, or they will be in the framework of, so to say, incorporation of Wagneris into or into regular army and minister of defense, whether this basis will be completely eliminated and they will even formally have no, um, let's say, separation from, uh, from, uh, from the rest of um, Russian militaries on the ground. So we will follow this, but Wagner is most probably not, um, shouldn't be expected to play the same role on the military, <laughs> military battlefield as they played uh, since the beginning of large-scale invasion anymore. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much. Uh, so is there anybody who wanted to ask a question by voice? Uh, just uh, give a sign to, to our host. Uh, we have a question to the chat, which is in the chat, which is a very broad question. I'm not sure we know the answer. Uh, I call it such a nonsensical war. When and how will it end? Maybe Maria and P and, and Petro, you have something to tell us about. Obviously, we're not oracles, we're not prophets. We cannot know the future. But Petro, you pro you probably can say something. Oh well, uh, you're right. So we don't know the future, but uh, we know the goals of the of the both sides. Uh, we know the goal of Russia. It's clear. So it's nothing. Uh, it's uh, it uh, has nothing to do with uh, so-called denazification or demilitarization, but uh, it's about destruction of the Ukrainian uh, state and uh, uh, genocide, killing uh, as much Ukrainians as possible. That's the Russian goal. And if they succeed, they will proclaim it's a victory, and that can and that is their uh, destination. So the war uh, can end if they achieve their goal. That's the one scenario. Uh, the second scenario, uh, the war will end when, uh, as, you, as we Ukrainians are saying, when they, we will completely remove the threat to our existence. Because, because what we are facing right now is, is the same that uh, British faced in May 1940. The uh, destruction of our state, and we need to do to uh, to destroy uh, this threat, to completely eliminate the regime 
that uh, threaten us. So uh, that means that, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion, uh, it's my opinion, unfortunately, the war, the war won't stop when we uh, would be successful to liberate all the territories, including Crimea, including Lugansk and Donetsk regions. But the war will end when uh, the regime will be changed uh, in Russia. And uh, that's, uh, that's the biggest uh, challenge for us, because it means that even if we liberate all the territories, uh, the new front line will be our state border. And we will have to do something with, uh, with the Russians inside, with the people who support mass killings. If you look back uh, to the pictures uh, which were made by the people on the streets with Wagneris, I have to remind to all of our listeners that, that, uh, that Prigozhin is a war criminal, uh, uh, in the same way as the Putin is a war criminal, uh, that their uh, uh, fighters, they are war criminals, and they uh, have been conducting genocide. And actually, some of them have already admitted this, that they were ordered to kill uh, elders, the children, women, and uh, men in the cities and towns they occupied in Donbass, killed in hundreds. So they're killers, they are uh, war criminals. And if you look, uh, uh, if you recall uh, the videos, uh, how people uh, welcomed Wagneris and Rostov, so you see here the same kind of excitement, the same degree, high, uh, high level of excitement, how the Germans uh, cherished and uh, celebrated uh, the Nazi troops who defeated France, who defeated Netherlands, who defeated Belgium, who defeated Poland between 1939 and 1940. That was the same excitement. The people uh, in Russia, they just love all these criminals who are killing Ukrainians. So the, my point is, is that uh, uh, we don't know when uh, and how this war will end, but uh, in Ukraine we know for sure that until Putin regime stays, or, or this kind of regime stays in Russia, and until people in Russia support it in, in, on a so, so huge scale, the war will not end. And we together with uh, the Europeans have to do something uh, with this. If I may add, um, Go ahead. Right, yeah, right now today I'm um, in London at London Conference, which is the flagship conference of Chatham House, a new one, where they look globally at the developments elsewhere on the globe and uh, uh, set up, let's say, the agenda. And I'm just reminded that Chatham House is not just a think tank uh, hanging in the air. It's a Royal Institute for International Affairs. So basically they reflect in their reports and their public policy analysis and recommendations reflect a lot what is supposed to be laid in the basis of UK as our partner um, policy, foreign policy. Uh, and I was really pleased that not only from not only politically we uh, were like we were hearing previously about um, all the support that Ukraine has to the occupied territories, that Ukraine has to liberate its territories, everything. But today it was very clear signal. And this is actually the, the in order to contribute to Petro um, argument, what is the goal? Uh, what is the goal? Because we really can't say definitely how and will, when the, this war will end, but we definitely understand what is the goal to which we should uh, to, which we should try to um, uh, achieve and, and fulfill. 
and today there was a very clear signal from Chatham House. They, they made an analytical report stating directly and clearly that uh, Ukraine must be a member of NATO, must become a member of the European Union. Uh, before that, the military support to Ukraine should not be restricted by any, any uh, speculations about escalations with Russia or what will happen in Russia or with Russia, that victory of Ukraine, namely at least uh, full deoccupation of all Ukrainian territories, is not the issue of Ukraine, but is a condition for whole Europe uh, security and sustainable peace, not only for Ukraine, not only for the Eastern Europe and Eastern flank of NATO, namely, but also for the entire transatlantic, transatlantic community. And I think that's uh, a really big uh, way that Ukraine, the really huge and long past which Ukraine has still been going, uh, if we will just re remind ourselves how our conversation with our partners looked like when Ukraine was, when Ukraine started insisting that we, we shouldn't speak about uh, just restoration of the front line which existed on the day before the large-scale invasion, but we are aiming to restore um, um, Ukraine's control over entire territory, including Crimea and Donbas. And at that point, there was a last year, there were completely different reactions among our Western partners. As of now, uh, the strategy, at least on the level of some very important partners of Ukraine, is significantly changing. And when our goals, speaking of, when we speak about liberation of Ukrainian territory, what does that mean? When our goals with a number of our strategic partners comply and coincide, um, uh, it means that um, the, the tendency is, um, is shifting in the right direction for us. Thank you, Maria. Yes, let's hope and let's hope that really the uh, position about NATO membership of our partners uh, will change uh, before the Vilnius summit, hopefully. Uh, thank you so much. We need to end at this point because we try not to go uh, beyond one hour. Uh, thank you to our listeners very much. Thank you for following the Ukrainian topic and thank you for our speakers, Petro Burkovsky and Maria Zolkina from Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation. If you want to re-listen this conversation, you can do it on, on Twitter, uh, on our page Ukraine World. You just click on this conversation or you can uh, in I think by the end of today you can also listen to it on our podcast platform our podcast Explaining Ukraine thank you very much stay with us and stand with Ukraine thank you thank you thank you thank you, thank you all uh, who listened this was a podcast Explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher and chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I talked to Petro Burkovsky, the executive director at the Ilko Kucherev Democratic Initiatives Foundation, a Ukrainian think tank, and Maria Zolkina, key analyst at this foundation. 
you can support us at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.